Disclaimer. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of the New American Magazine. They're submitted for your entertainment and consideration. You should consult your doctor before considering expending too much strenuous energy on these controversial subjects. If you don't have medical authorization, consider this invitation as your permission slip for independent thought. This is Under the Iceberg, hosted by Daniel Natal, co-hosted by investigative researcher Ginny Silcox. The panel is also pleased to have joining us Ryan Calevra. Tonight's conspiracy is the true nature of CERN. Chapter 1. The Premise. CERN derives from the French acronym for European Council for Nuclear Research. It was founded in 1954 with the ostensible goal of uniting the world through science. Currently, 21 countries in the European Union are members, with 10,000 scientists being affiliated with the program from 100 countries. It studies the constituent elements of matter using the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. It's a 27-kilometer particle accelerator that rests 100 meters underground. Protons travel around the circular tube at velocities near the speed of light. The claim is that they want to replicate the conditions that existed at the beginning of the universe. But does CERN serve another purpose? Is it, like NASA before, it a seemingly private sector organization used by the state as a cutout in order to evade government transparency and Freedom of Information Act requests? A methodology still used by governments today, with most of big tech's products coming from DARPA as they masquerade as private businesses, but in fact are cat's paws organizations for the military-industrial complex. Discern in its capacity as a putatively neutral civilian organization conceal something deeper? If so, what? And with those opening remarks out of the way, I'm giving you the floor, Jenny. Oh, well, where to begin? No, I guess I'll begin with the very strange um, performances that they've had at CERN to commemorate various different events, um, like their opening. And then um, later on, a couple of years later, there was another large group of dancers and people in costume, uh, including Go- um, costumes. a devil. <laughs> Uh, they had all these incredible performances with uh, what appeared to be angels suspended from cables and all sorts of strange visual stuff that seemingly depicting satanic worshiping practices. Yeah, or and druidic so, pagan stuff. Yeah, it was very strange. Yeah. And, uh, well, speaking of the pagan stuff, they had a sort of a Beelzebub figure as the main character in, in those performances and and then there were also uh, scenes that were replicated from uh, the um, what was the name of that DA? I think it was uh, Metropol. It was uh, a worker oppression video uh, movie that was done, I think, in the thirties. Metropolis. Ah, Fritz yeah, Lang. Yeah, and so so you know when you look at stuff like that, and it seems to be a consistent theme with them. So you've got I've got to ask questions. Yeah, and they also have uh, Shiva the Destroyer is a big statue there. Um, and they also, of course, famously have a logo that bears a striking resemblance to a stylized version of 666, which is very childish if, in fact, that's where it came from. Uh, Ryan, uh, you've been digging into this. Uh, any uh, initial impressions? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the the Shiva statue is the thing that, that uh, I think is the most telling of all of it. I mean, you know, it's supposed to be doing the dance that is the end of the world and like the, the and the renewal is what that's supposed to symbolize in Hinduism. So, I mean, it kind of 
hints at what their intentions might be with that. It's like, what are they trying to do? Just remake everything, destroy everything. Yeah. She, the destroyer want to exactly. That's precisely what I'm saying. That's supposed to be the dance of the apocalypse that, that, that it's doing whenever uh, the, that, that, that deity is doing whenever it has like the forearms and it's holding all the different things. And according to their lore, whenever that dance is done, the whole world crumbles apart and gets reformed. So, yeah, isn't that the well? This is the end of the Kali Yuga. Either we're a couple years into it, or we only have a few years to go. I'm not really sure, but this is the end of the Kali Yuga, which is the the era of destruction. Yeah, well, just like so many uh, horrible institutions uh, that exist now, they you know emerged right after the World War II period, like in 1947 when the CIA was created, um, you know, or a lot of these you know secret government like programs and stuff like that. And uh, like you have Jack Parsons uh, trying to open a portal using uh, black magic, using the what was called the Babylon working from Aleister Crowley to open up a portal, uh, you know, right over right over uh, Roswell, New Mexico, where all of a sudden things start happening, strange things start happening over where he's doing it. And CERN seems to be part and parcel of that. And there was an article I saw that said, um, CERN has admitted that it wants to connect with parallel universes. What they mean is extra dimensions. In other words, CERN is seeking to make a connection with another dimension. Mir Faisal, one of the three strong team of physicists behind the experiment said, we predict that gravity can leak into extra dimensions. And if it does, then miniature black holes can be produced at the LHC. Normally, when people think of the multiverse, they think of the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, where every possibility is actualized. This cannot be tested, and so it is philosophy and not science. This is not what we mean by parallel universes. What we mean is universes and extra dimensions. And that just seemed weird to me, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of interdimensionals, you know, these are these are things coming from other dimensions. It was just interesting that, that CERN was openly talking about, you know, seeking another, an additional dimension and, uh, you know, how to exploit that. But if we go out there and talk about these sorts of things, they gaslight us and talk like we're crazy. That's the funny part. I read something myself not long ago that was detailing all of their endeavors into trying to isolate the God particle, which they... Oh, yeah, the Higgs boson. Yeah, uh-huh. And it, and it was part and parcel to exactly what you're talking about. Chapter 2. Speculation. One of the things that actuated this podcast was the destruction of the Georgia Guidestones, that CERN was turned on again, and it had been off for a while, and they just reactivated it, and like the very next day, uh, probably within a matter of hours, the Georgia Guidestones, you know, get demolished, get blown up in some mysterious event, um, and, and you know, most people aren't going to connect those two things, but one of the things that connected those uh, for me, just coincidentally, was I was listening to an audiobook by a woman named Dolores Cannon, and Dolores Cannon was, uh, she, she basically would put people to sleep, you know, and, and through hypnosis, she would uh, allegedly talk to their higher selves, and she would get information from them, and one of the things that she talked about that I found very striking uh, uh, kind of revolved around Stonehenge-like dolmens and how they're buried in the earth, much like CERN is. And I wanted to play this clip one moment. When you think of Stonehenge, when you think of your old monuments or your so-called sacred places on your planet, then you must know that to become sacred does not happen instantly. Time is a carrier of the energy, and we have worked with these particular locations for centuries. But it seems to be a new phenomenon with the circles. It is only visible. You couldn't see them before, but they have always been there. You can see them now because of a dimensional shift that has taken place. Then they were on the ground? They were below the surface of the ground. They've only surfaced. 
The Earth is changing so much that... <sighs> the shifting on your planet has been another manner that has caused them to come to the surface. Then, in the past, the energy they were creating, or the function they were serving, was being done beneath the surface? Yes. And now is being applied to the surface? Yes, because things have changed. Many people are thinking maybe it's a form of communication. It is. They are a focal point for energy entrance. Now, energy entrance in a pattern, in a spiral, comes up and is slung up... Out of the same place? Yes. Rather like a bouncing effect? Yes. All right. There was a long pause. Then another voice, a softer, almost sweet one, obviously feminine. Perhaps I can answer you. It is not time for you to understand everything about this project now. It is important for you to know some details, which you will be given by members of the group. One of the things that you need to know is that there are circles in Peru. There are circles in other places on your planet that people do not realize. We are making an effort to allow mankind to begin to know other ways of communication. However, there are those that can be communicated with through those circles. The circles of energy also go through the earth, so it's a part of the same project. It's just a different phase. Now, another thing to know is that your earth is spinning in space, is it not? Yes. And how does it spin? What direction? I'd have to think. Is it going counterclockwise? She made hand motions. Clockwise. All right. I don't remember that part of it. Well, actually, it wouldn't matter if it were spinning end over end. The point of the circles is simply to create an opposite effect. And this is another area of balance. That's one purpose and only one. But they are used and energy is circulated through them. If you could see into another dimension, you could see the spiral. You would see the effect of that swirl, for it is in movement and motion. You cannot see it, but it is moving, constantly moving, just as a top moves, clockwise. What directions do crop circles go? The ones I have seen and been in go in both directions. I'm thinking of a top. The top is rotating and moving, and these would be places where it touches down on the earth? Perhaps you could think of a vortex. All right. I'm thinking of it being in space, and then coming toward the Earth and touching down. That is correct. Actually, the beam is transmitted to the center of the circle, and it rotates out. Remember the focal point I spoke to you about? The beam is transmitted to the center of the circle and swirls. This was something I noticed when I was in the crop circle several times in England. And this is part of the project that is helpful in stabilizing the Earth's movements in the plates? Yes, it is. So in that clip, uh, that manuscript actually that took place, um, they talk about the, you know, dolmens, Stonehenge-like structures that are buried under the earth. And then we perceive crop circles above them, right? Like they're creating energy vortexes that result in crop circles. And it was interesting there that they mentioned that if you could see into another dimension, you would see these spirals of energy. And it just reminded me of CERN with their, their search for this other dimension.
I think there is a lot to the whole sacred geometry thing, because, I mean, if you look at all these different ancient monuments, like pyramids and different Stonehenge-type structures, and even more modern stuff like harp and where they decide to put different kinds of arrays of antennas and things like that, it's like they they coincide with the sacred geometry of the Earth. Well, Jenny so. just sent me a video uh, about the sacred geometry and the energy flows. Did you want to weigh in on that, Jenny? Uh, well, no, I was actually thinking of some something quite different. Why don't you go, go ahead and just kind of describe it, Daniel? No, I mean, I can't. I watched the whole video and I was fascinated and it was just talking about sacred geometry and energy flows. And wh- what are they called? The kind of currents, Birkeland currents, Birkeland currents. Yeah, that are all throughout the universe and how these things, you know, like when you look at, you know, particular um kind of spirograph, you know, kind of drawing circles and, and all these, these, uh, you know, spirals and helixes and stuff like that, how they actually do have, you know, like a, there's a physical representation of them, like you can draw them out, but that physical representation is, you know, kind of, you know, a visual, you know, uh, <laughs> representation of, of, a, of a sonic or acoustic, uh, you know, kind of frequency. And, uh, so I, I don't know, I just found that interesting, the, the concept of having these buried dolmens, these buried kind of circular structures and as the earth turns it's actually generating you know like it, it's it's a generator it's it's almost like a uh, a uh, you know water wheel you know in, in a giant river but it's a giant river of energy you know in sidereal space that you know that is being taken advantage of and i found that very interesting that cern is circular and cern is 100 meters under the ground um and uh, let me bear, bear with me just one second uh, jenny I, I just wanted to play one one more clip regarding this There is a mystery occurring on Earth at this time that many people are asking questions about. This concerns the crop circles in the fields in England. They call them corn circles, although it's really wheat and other grains. They have been occurring over the last few years. Can you give me any information about that? Where they're coming from, and how, and why? I can tell you that there are several reasons for the circles and there are different reasons for them. And at different times, different reasons apply. Now, you understand spirals? Yes. And you understand windows? Yes. At a particular time, these are used by certain energies to interact with the currents of your Earth, the vibrations of your Earth. I am trying to answer you without being technical. I cannot give you all the information on this. I'm sorry. I have your answers, but in your next meeting I will give them to you. I cannot do it now because it is a timing problem, meaning that it is important that it not be understood at this time. I can tell you only that there is a project that certain people are working on, and these are a part of that project. Just believe that there is no harm to come from these circles. It is in conjunction with other aspects of energy flow. It is very important for them to be there. And just as Janus is learning the symbols of language, every effort is being used in relation to the fragile planet Earth's mantle stabilization. If it needs to have a reverse circle, circles are very powerful, you know. And they are also used as a transmission focal point. So that is what I can tell you. What was interesting in that clip to me, that second one, was that they mentioned that we can't give you the information on this, but suffice it to say, there are people on your side who are already working on this. And that kind of was suggestive to me of, you know, a possibility that it was an illusion to CERN. So that makes me question like the polarity of the entity that they were communicating with. 
Um, I, you know, when I was listening to that, well, I was thinking of Schauberger and his use of spirals and finding spirals throughout nature. It's a pattern that's repeated over and over. And, you know, the golden mean and the golden ratio, it all describes a spiral. A spiral function yeah, is one Fibonacci. of the most intrinsic to this planet that is repeated over hundreds of thousands of times in nature, you know, in the pattern on a fly's eye or on, on the pattern of sunflower seeds or the pattern of a current going down a bathtub, the Coriolis effect. Yeah. You know, you see that over and over. But what I wanted to say about that is Schauberger was on to something about that being the most efficient way for material to move. And it's, it's the most efficient and least, if you look at any of the Thunderbolts project work, you'll see um, Don Scott, he's a professor of electrical engineering, describing how and why a Birkeland current twists the way it does. Mm -hmm. And what it turns out is that the spiral is the most efficient way to transport energy, that it turns out that it, it uses the least friction and stress on whatever materials are being mobilized that it including electrons you know it's actually the most efficient but the, the okay so the final thing that i i wanted to say like i don't you know i'm kind of belaboring this point but the spiral okay if you, if you think about i don't know if you've ever seen that video where um uh, um, an engineer is using Schalberger's principles and they had the problem of this big rotating uh, structure like a set of paddles in a town's water tank to keep the water fresh to keep it circulating and so they ran a competition among engineers and this guy came with this little one foot spiral structure and he beat everybody else that had the big bulky paddles and fan like things because of the geometry of his it looked almost like a conch shell yeah i remember that, i saw that that geometry is what circulated the water the most efficiently within the tank and and that got me to thinking when i when i saw the the schalberger videos i got to thinking about what happened with henri laplace uh on from 18 i think around 1880 until say 1920 the laplace equations were considered as normal part of physics for all calculations involving energy in waves mm. and after 1930 according to uh, constantine mile who is a professor of physics at the university he used to be i'm not sure if he's still there university of copenhagen um laplace equations were dropped from the textbooks and so today's physicists don't learn those equations, and yet those equations represent the longitudinal component of what everybody thinks these days as being transverse waveforms. And there is no such thing as transverse energy being transmitted from place to place like radar or phone signals or TV signals. There is no such thing as that being transported from place to place without a longitudinal component, a compressive component. Yeah, I, I was and, just reading uh, Herbert Spencer, and he was uh, singing the praises of Laplace in his 1873 book, uh, Study of Sociology. So it's interesting that uh, uh, as interesting. I'm reading about him lionizing Laplace, yeah, and he's he's talking about kind of the feats of Western science, and that was one of the, the things he mentions Laplace numerous times. So it's interesting. I didn't know that he had been suppressed since then. 
Yeah, well, and according, you know, during that time, if you think about the 1880s to say 1920, that was James Clerk Maxwell, that was Whitaker, Heaviside, Tesla. It just goes, the list goes on and on of these remarkably uh, advanced people discovering and, and inventing, innovating. Um, physics has completely beca- become uh, paralyzed and stripped down ever since. Daniel and I were actually having a conversation not long ago about and it's in it's in the category of dumbing things down. But uh, if you go try to look up an equation, like if you forgot an equation whenever you studied electronics or something, and you go try to look it up on the Internet. It's like trying to dig through a, a, a haystack looking for a needle, trying to find the damned equation. And they all they do is they overcomplicate things with all these verbal explanations and this and that. But you have to have an old textbook to find the damn equation. It's just crazy. And, 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 and in the same note, it's funny because even though they get rid of, they scrub the, the basic equations out of this stuff, you see we're using water screws on ships, not paddle wheels, right? It's like, yeah. so, so we, it's right there in your face. They just take the information away. Well, that's what she said. Like Constantine Mile, the guy she referred to, the Danish uh, physicist, he said that about 20 percent of physics has been quietly scrubbed from uh, modern textbooks so that, you know, people in, in secret underground DARPA programs and, and programs much like CERN uh, will have access to this information. But the business sector won't, you know. But, you know, I don't see anything that's being publicized at CERN. I've been looking at all their projects. And I really don't see any acknowledgement, at least what they show to the public, is that all you're seeing is what we would call classical physics of today. None of that earlier innovative and uh, impressive work, like the work of Tesla, for instance, you don't see that. They don't ever show that to the public. Well, they, I mean, only sh- they only show the, uh, well, I guess I'd call it the bargain basement physics. Well, they did the, the Internet. CERN is also famous for, uh, it's credited with uh, the invention of the Internet, like the early Internet. So that, that was one of uh, the... Uh, that should be DARPA. Yeah, well, well, it's interesting that they're connected. What a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised, of course. Another comment as well is uh, the, the thing about the spirals and the circles and the clips you were playing, it kind of reminds me of the talk that Carl Sagan gave about the understanding of different dimensions. You know, even though we exist in a three-dimensional world, our perception is two-dimensional in reality. But if, if you existed in a two-dimensional world, how would you perceive a three-dimensional thing? That's classic Plato, right? In the Republic, he, he talks about that. Well, let me, I wanted to play this, this clip too. This one is a different one. This is about Gobekli Tepe, uh, possibly being like Stonehenge, but unlike Stonehenge, you know, which is now uh, allegedly, I mean, whatever, if it's a reconstruction or not, but it's above ground, Gobekli Tepe was purposely buried, and I just wanted to play that clip. In this video, I'm taking a more focused look at the claim that Gobekli Tepe was intentionally buried sometime around 10,000 years ago. I've read in places that the late Klaus Schmidt believed Gebekli Tepe could well have been intentionally buried, and the German archaeologists that work at the site made a point on their Tepe Telegram's blog that Gebekli Tepe was intentionally filled. So the sources for the claim are credible, of course. Before the site was first excavated in the 1990s, Gebekli Tepe was in effect a giant mound made up of man-made archaeological deposits, and the fills of the circular enclosures certainly gave the impression of unnatural filling. 
archaeologist Nesmi Carroll also sees evidence of the purposeful burial of some of the enclosures at Karahan Tepe, due to the slope of the infill layers that defies the natural land topography and hence gravity. So there does seem to be a common theme. So one of those things that it makes me wonder if if these ancient structures, if these ancient circular dolmen structures were in fact buried, and if, you know, I mean, for instance, not just go back to Tepe or, or Stonehenge or any of the numerous dolmens in North Africa, Spain, France, um, but if these things were buried, you know, what does that say about the mound builders, you know, that, that people are curious about, like the Salutrian culture on the eastern side of the United States that doesn't seem to be Native American. It seems to be older than Native American. And they suggest, the head of the Smithsonian suggests that the Basques traveled over and they built these mounds. And they're like, why were they building mounds? And it's interesting. That was just the Smithsonian. Yeah. They have another agenda. Well, yeah, exactly. But but the point being is like all these, all, all of our ancestors were, for whatever reason, burying circles circular stone structures under the earth. And I find that fascinating too. Imagine if you do have energy vortices like spinning up from the earth because you're tapping the earth now and people, when they go to say crop circles as an example, and they're looking at a crop circle and they know they've noticed, you know, interesting things about them, interesting, uh, you know, aspects of the real ones, the legitimate ones. And one of, one of them is that there's no insects inside. So I, I find it interesting if you could use that technology, if, if that's in fact true, imagine having crops, with no pesticides you know if you could harness the earth the energy of the earth and it's spinning up and it's keeping insects out of that i mean that that could be like a really interesting innovative uh you know way going forward to uh, have crops that are healthy instead of you know all the, the chemicals we slather on them uh, let me play this too this is another clip this is a uh, cern uh 100 meters under the earth we begin our journey 100 meters below the surface of the earth in the lhc tunnel Behind us is the Atlas experiment, and we are traveling towards the Alice cavern. The blue cylinders on our left are cryostats, which house the dipole magnets. And so anyway, just, just to uh, beat a, a, a dead horse, um, I was just curious about that too. You know, just the theme, the possibility of buried structure, buried circular structures. And then you have CERN, which is a buried circular structure 100 meters under the earth. Um, what if what if the, the person, you know, that, that was being channeled by Dolores Cannon, who said that there was a group of people, you know, working on these concepts, but, you know, with modern technology instead of stone tools, you know, what if, you know, what if in fact something like that is happening? What if CERN is a giant energy you know, manufacturing facility in, in a weird sense that we don't understand to open up a different dimension, to manipulate a different dimension. Um, and one of the things that, that people have noticed is that when CERN is turned on, there's all these just bizarre uh, meteorological phenomena above it. You know, like there's there's weird lightning storms yeah, and weird clouds. And weird yeah, bizarre things. One of the things that, that I found interesting too, and I wish I could have found this clip, but I heard it years ago, it was an alleged whistleblower, so take it with a huge grain of salt, as you should take, you know, people being being channeled by Dolores Cannon. <laughs> so take it with a huge grain of salt. It's just a theory. But um, but this this one whistleblower years ago, about ten years ago, I heard him, and he was talking about how. Um, like in CERN, and I've heard this numerous places, in CERN, they basically, um, you know, the ionization of the air that takes place there, it feels like a spooky haunted house. The air is very heavy, um, and it just feels creepy. It feels really macabre. And this this gentleman was saying um, that they initially, in the initial military experiments, they were doing them in universities. And when they started, you know, dabbling with this stuff, that all of a sudden they noticed that it, it actually changed the atmosphere 
atmosphere, not not just the physical atmosphere, but the kind of like emotional, like a psychotronic device that all of a sudden there was an increase in rapes in the, uh, in the in the university and there was homicides. And then after that started happening, they decided to take they, and they noticed everybody interacting with the machine started acting in a, almost again in a, in a demonic way. Then he said after that, it was taken out of the universities and it was put underground, you know, so so who, yeah. who knows, you know, if, if well, that's true. You do have to realize, though, that the, the fields surrounding something that's heating up particles to 100,000 degrees and accelerating them, you know, to, who knows, maybe beyond light speed. You know, the, the electrical fields coming out of that are extremely dangerous and they, they could literally fry the human nervous system. So they have to put it underground because mm. they just don't know if they can control it. And what if something got out of control? You know, you, you could destroy the all of Geneva. Their whole office complex is electromagnetically shielded like heaven. Yeah, it's in a huge Faraday shield. You know, if you look at what the current uh, conception is of how photons move, how light moves through space, what you'll see is a giant spiral. If you look at any animations of uh, mm -hmm. how they assume that light is propagating through space, it's always it's always shown as a spiral. And but what I'm saying is being underground is a way of shielding, um, you know, that what they're doing is using up so much energy and, and could be producing that nothing goes one direction. If they're using the energy they're they may be transmuting it, but they're also producing it. And uh, I just have one other thing I wanted to enter, and that is yeah, um, sure. a friend of mine by the name of Bruce Laybourne uh, did uh, a, a presentation for one of the Thunderbolts Project conferences. And, and it's a fascinating presentation. It's available on YouTube. It, it's called Earth as a Stellar Transformer. And it is extremely interesting where he does he's a geophysicist. And he's done a lot of research and a lot of travel. And what he's what he is putting together is a more complete picture of early theories that volcanoes, mountains, other landforms, and ocean currents are all part of a huge dynamo system, uh, whereby the Earth is transforming solar the solar electrical field. Yeah, well, I mean, Tesla talked about that too—that the Earth is a giant charged particle. It's hit by lightning, all, all you know, all over the place. And uh, so, you know, and which goes back to CERN because when CERN, you know, turned on just recently, there was just massive, you know, disruptions in the uh, in the Schumann. The residence. Schumann revolution. Yeah. Did you see that? Did you see all the little yeah. spikes and harmonics all over the place? Yeah. So, Ryan, do you want to jump in? Well, I, I I was just thinking to myself, it's like it's like we don't fully understand what gamma radiation does to people, and gamma particles are already pretty damaging. We know that, but it's like we don't know the full extent of it and how it could, you know, it knocks out chunks of DNA and alters them and things like that. You see what I'm saying? That might be the almost like mRNA, <laughs> mRNA DNA. It's it's damaging your RNA, which then would need to be patched. Well, if you think of electrical fields as the matrix within which we live. Because we do. I mean, we are electrical animals. Our entire brain is a series of, uh, you know, it's a whole bunch of parallel synchronous electrical fields happening. Both our, uh, you know, our, our uh, brainwave rhythms as well as the uh, 
you know, different thought patterns and muscle activation and all that kind of stuff. We, we're part of the matrix. Our bodies are, are, and our brains are electrochemical machines, very literally. And, you know, the, the other essence of us is something else. But I wonder if that Luan stuff isn't capable of messing with things on those other planes that are imperceptible to us. No, that's a well, great point. They certainly can point. penetrate everything. I want to do uh, take a, a digression here because I just wrote an article about something totally seemingly different, but I'll circle back to it. And, and it was on, on the origins of the so-called New World Order, right? The origins of Walter Funk, the Nazi finance minister, and he was the president of the Reichsbank. You know, after the war, Germany wanted to create a European Union. Germany wanted to, you know, uh, have a, a system by which fiat currency was used instead of the traditional gold standard. And how a lot of the, the things that he said were actually implemented by John Maynard Keynes after the war. But one of the things that was really, really interesting in the research that I was doing was the creation of the Bank for International Settlements by Walter Funk's uh, predecessor, a guy named Hjalmar Schacht. And so Hjalmar Schacht, basically, he, he, he had to deal with how does Germany pay the reparations after the Treaty of Versailles, right? So they, they have these, these, these mounting debts that they can't pay. So he said, let's create a bank. We're going to create a central bank, and it's going to be the central bank for all other central banks. And we're going to call it the Bank for International Settlements, and it's going to be in Switzerland, right where CERN is. Um, and so it, very interestingly, he tells the allies, we can't afford to pay back these reparations. We have to be productive to be able to pay these back. And and they were like, well, how, how can you raise more money? And, and Kjalmar Schock said, put central banks in every third world country, in every country of the world, and through those central banks, induce them to buy German goods. And when they buy German goods, German factory equipment, German machines then we will get those profits and we will pay those toward the German reparations. So they created this entire system, this entire global financial system with the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland as its center. Um, and so the Bank for International Settlements is extremely shadowy. It's extre- It's above the law. It's literally outside of Swiss jurisdiction. The Swiss police can't even enter the building legally, right? They have all these treaties that have created the Bank for International Settlements. And... Um, and was so that the, part of the Treaty of Versailles? It was caused because of the Treaty of Versailles in 1919, but it wasn't created officially until 1930. And when it was created, it basically created this entire global network by which they steal from you know third world countries. They, they send that money to Germany. Then Germany sends that on to pay the reparations. But here's the thing. Germany finished their reparations. So you'd think that the system would go out of, you know, go defunct. Nope. They're still taking the no. money. And the Bank for International Settlements is now rich, richer than, you know, the than, than God himself, and it's controlling the whole planet. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, Joseph Farrell was writing about this, and he, he says, as an international organization, CERN is not a legal entity under national law, but governed by public international law. The member states have recognized the international status of CERN via the host state agreements with Switzerland and France and a protocol on privileges and immunities with other member states. These agreements ensure that CERN benefits from immunity from national jurisdiction and execution. Thus, legal disputes between CERN and its suppliers and contractors are not submitted to national courts, but solved via international arbitration. They also enable CERN to 
function without interference by individual member states and guarantee independence from national authorities. For our discussion, this means that CERN is thus entitled to establish its own internal rules necessary for its proper functioning. Yeah, it's sovereign. Yep, such as the rules under which it purchases equipment and services. And then Farrell adds, this cannot be pondered too long, for the implications are clear. One, CERN is an international sovereign entity, much like the Bank for International Settlements. For like the bank, it was constructed by international agreements of member states, certain of whom carry more weight in the system than others. Two, like the Bank for International Settlements, CERN is immune from individual national oversight and can establish its own internal rules necessary for its proper functioning, especially concerning the rules under which it purchases equipment and services. A, this point means that it is entirely possible that CERN could run a hidden project within the public one, for in effect, the grant of sovereign status means that it is a quantum mechanics or cosmology cartel answerable to no one. This type of financial organization is the sine non qua of secret military projects. So I just found that very interesting that CERN, like the World Economic Forum, like the Bank of International Settlements, is domiciled in Switzerland. And like those two organizations, is above the law, literally above the law. Yeah, just like the Vatican. If I'm not mistaken, the IMF has the same kind of deal going on. Obviously, we've never read anything about Davos crowd. It's like, I'm sure they do just by the way that they enact their security and everything. Yeah, exactly. But it's just interesting how Switzerland is being used as like a front company, a shell company for all of these like international goings too. But um, you mentioned- It's kind of centrally located. You mentioned the International Monetary Fund. The International Monetary Fund was created uh, in the Bretton Woods system in 1944, and it was created as an adjunct to the Bank for International Settlements that was created in 1930. Right. So so 14 years later, in 1944, they created two organizations, the World Bank and the Bank for International Settlements. And so the World Bank would get countries in debt by giving them infrastructure loans that they knew they couldn't pay. But they said, hey, if you if you take this loan, you need to put up collateral, put up the, the resources of your country. The natural resources of, of your country will be, you know, the the, the collateral. We're going to give you all this debt that we know you can't pay, and then we're going to take your lithium. We're going to take your silicon. We're going to take your gold. We're going to take your cocoa, right? And then the 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 Bank for International Settlements uh, worked in conjunction with the World Bank, and it basically said, okay, well, we're here to make sure that all these little countries, these emerging economies, we're going to go into your country, and we're going to make sure that you have all the infrastructure in your country to tax your people, right? So if your country is in debt, we need to be sure that there are new property taxes. Property taxes didn't exist before, but now we're we're going to institute property taxes in your country so we can take all your people's people's farms, right? And so all of this, so so the bank for excuse me, the the IMF and the World Bank were were methodologies to scoop up these resources and then funnel them to the Bank for International Settlements. So it, it, all out of Switzerland. The funniest part of what you're saying right there is that they also saddled those people with the tab for the infrastructure in order to extract and 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 take those resources from their countries. It's like, you know, they paid for all the refineries and roads and rail systems and everything like that. They're like, you owe us for that. And meanwhile, they use it to pillage their country. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly what's happening. And so the um, the 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 way the system that it was as created is set up by Hjalmar Schacht back in, in 1930. You know, um, they basically, you know, like it ties in with John Perkins's uh, book, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And he said in 2004 that it was his job. He was he was dispatched by the World Bank and he would every time there was a new election in a third world country, he or someone like him would be dispatched and he would go to the, the new leader and he would give them the, the deal. And the deal is this. You're going to get your country into debt, massive debt, debt we know you can't pay. Um, and if you go along with us, we're going to give you a cut. You'll be very 
very rich. Your friends and family will be very rich. Your country will be enslaved and poor, but you'll be rich personally. If you don't go with this, we're going to send in the jackals and we'll, we'll assassinate you and replace you with someone who will take the deal. Yeah, I was thinking of that book just a minute ago. We've been in the middle of you talking about all the other stuff. It's like, yeah, it's well sick, isn't it? <laughs> it's just interesting that the that basically okay, what, what has emerged is that the Bank for International Settlements has created a federal region over the nation states. Very, very similar to the United States. When the United States was founded... We were a pure republic under the Articles of Confederation, but we couldn't pay back our, our debt. Like So financiers extended us credit, right? They bought our bonds, and we couldn't pay back those bonds after the, the you know resolution of the conflict. And uh, they, they, they were like, okay, well, how are you going to pay us back the bonds? And we started paying them back in fiat currency. And they said, no, 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 no. We do not want fiat currency. You're going to go back. You're going to you're going to scrap your original government and you're going to create a new government with a federal layer and you're going to create a new constitution. And in this new constitution, your money will be tied to gold and you're going to pay the financiers, the international financiers back in, in you know, in currency that's pegged to gold. And um, so this is uh, outlined by in Charles Beard's an economic interpretation of the Constitution of the United States from 1913. And so basically, through that method, through the federal layer, the banking cartels basically had a stranglehold on the states. Now, fast forward to the Treaty of Versailles in 1919, right? So you have a very similar thing. You have you have a, a, a bankrupt Germany that's hyperinflating its currency, much like the United States after the Revolutionary War, hyperinflating its currency. And then there's a solution. And the solution is to create a banking layer, right? And this banking layer, let's call call it a federal layer, right, has supremacy over the states, or let's call them nation states, right? So it's a very similar setup, except it's it's the United States, but done global. And instead of states, they're nation states over which the sovereign entity, this this illegal, extra legal, you know, kind of kind of, you know, shadow government is grafted over top. And I just I just found it very, very significant that you have the Bank of International Settlements, the World Monetary Fund, the Davos crowd and the and, and CERN all in the same place within walking distance of each other. You know, so we're looking at like the, 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 the capital of the world government as it currently exists. I also find it very interesting that all these were stated girls of the Third Reich, and then we had Operation Paperclip, and then we're doing all that same stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it's like hey, uh, they, they, the people are down on Chevy, but good on GM. So uh, we're going to liquidate Chevy, and then everybody gets a GM. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, a, it's exactly, and and that was the theme of my article. The theme of my article was how this whole conception, this whole international order that emerged after World War II, was created by the Germans. It was created explicitly by Hjalmar Schacht and Walter Funk, and they literally called it the New World Order. Is what you know. So when they make these references, when George George Bush made these references, oh, to the New World Order. You have to remember he was doing it in context of a reunified East and West Germany. He was doing it in the context of, you know, like this this global economic system that was emerging that was eclipsing the old nation state model. It was grafting a second layer over top of the nation state model. And we would be ruled by this new global federalism, you know, by these people who weren't untouchable by the law. You see that even in the United States on on a, a microcosmic level where a senator, a sitting senator, senator could go and shoot someone in the head on live TV and he couldn't be arrested. He'd say, oh, separation of powers. The executive branch can't like to. And this is why you get people like, you know, the Biden crime family, you know, or whatever, um, because they, they're above the law. They're literally above the law. They can't. So it, 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 it creates an incentive structure, perverse incentives for just like horrendous behavior, you know. And so you're seeing that played out on a global level. I mean, there was a, a book called um, 
Superclass by David Rothkopf, and he talks about the Davos crowd. And that's a very, very good, you know, kind of, you know, term for, for you know, this, this class of people, this international federal class that exists outside of our laws. One, one of the things that I found interesting as well in studying that, another person who was in uh, Switzerland at the time in 1911 was a guy named Alan Dulles. You may have heard of him. Oh, yeah. And so Alan Dulles was in, in Switzerland. He was at the U.S. delegation or U.S. US legation. And he was in charge of of, uh, espionage. Uh, And he talked about how Switzerland was crawling with spies and financiers. And of course, you know, both one is tied into the other. And so Dulles basically becomes a mob conciliary. Dulles is is the one who creates the CIA and he creates it using the Nazi, uh, you know, uh, Galen org by Reinhard Galen. Like Galen had all these, you know, kind of spies everywhere in Eastern Europe. And after the fall of the Third Reich, it becomes absorbed into the OSS and becomes this new, you know, body in the United States, which Harry S. Truman calls in 1964, the American Gestapo. He refers to the CIA as an American Gestapo. So we yeah. start taking all these Nazi kind of ideas and we import them into the United States post-World War II. We totally change the structures fundamentally of the United States. Like Herbert Spencer says, I alluded to him earlier. He says that nothing changes the institutions of a society more than war. And so basically the United States before the world wars was a Republic after the world wars, it started getting all these Nazi, whether it was NASA with Werner von Braun, whether it was the CIA with the Galen org and, and Alan Dulles, but Alan Dulles, very, very interesting uh, rabbit hole to jump down as well. He went around. He worked for a law firm called Sullivan and Cromwell. And mm-hmm. so basically they oversaw the, 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 the revolution in Panama. Um, they were the law firm that controlled that. They did the United Fruit Company when the CIA deposed, uh, Jacobo Arbenz in Guatemala. They did, uh, the, the de- deposition of Mohammed Mossadegh in, uh, in, for BP in, uh, in Iran in 1954. You know, so, so Alan Dulles is like everywhere across here and he was tied to the hip to Hjalmar Schacht back in 1919, he was running the uh, the the uh, uh, Sullivan and Cromwell's office in Paris when the Treaty of Versailles was signed. So you have all these group, you know, five or six men, and they basically created the post World War II system. And they created this. So basically, you have the Bank for International Settlements controlling the rest of the Third World, and it created intelligence agencies that they put in every country, so that you know, if any if any leader wanted to assert the sovereignty of his country, he'd get, he'd get whacked. And so it was just very interesting that after JFK fires Alan Dulles, he gets whacked. And who do they put in charge of the Warren, Warren Commission? Alan Dulles. <laughs> so so when you look at his ties to Hjalmar Schacht and the Bank for International Settlements in Switzerland, it, it, it is phenomenal. Like the actual setup of global world power and how it's all tied into Switzerland where CERN is. So, so it, it does make you wonder, like, what are they working on? We'll never know. There's no transparency and they're not subject to any law. Why is that? Have you ever had the feeling that maybe some of all this crap that's been going on, uh, that maybe the, the power brokers here on this planet might be answering to someone that is extraterrestrial? I mean, why not? I mean, per, you know, everybody always wants to throw extra dimensions in there. Why not? <laughs> The return, you know, the return of anger. I just get the feeling that they're they're marching to a cadence that's being uh, issued from somewhere else. I think they're taking their marching orders from somebody that's my enemy. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> Chapter three. Conclusion. 
I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to ask you, Ginny, what is your take on CERN, the Georgia Guidestones, Stonehenge, you know, Bank for International Settlements, any, anything? Like, what is your, your ultimate, uh, you know, kind of takeaway? Well, as far as the science part of it goes with uh, CERN and any any accelerator uh, and the ancient, uh, like the, the African stone circles uh, that Michael Tellinger has investigated and uh, stone circles all over the world, uh, it, and, um, it strikes me that those are energy transducers. And one of the things Tellinger found out is that uh, uh, he had a, a ground penetrating radar and acoustic analysis done on a lot of those circles. And a lot of those circles are under 90 feet of sediment. They're, they're, the only way they could detect them is by satellite imagery. And uh, what they found is a huge amount of energy, acoustic, longitudinal, compressive energy coming out of the centers of those circles. So in a way, I, I can't help but think that, uh, number one, what's all this energy transduction for? Is it is it just a normal thing that Earth does? Because all these structures have been engineered. And it's as if whoever did the engineering understands that having a circle transcribing a spiral through the galaxy is almost, to me, it's like a police siren. It's like a beacon. And I wonder um, who's on the receiving end. Yeah, exactly. So. Like if they're communicating, they're opening channels to Enki. They're, you know, the return of Enki, yeah. the return of the Sumerian god. So, Ryan, what's your, your final analysis? My final analysis is the same as it's always been for all of these sorts of things. And I know that there's all different kinds of categories that fit in here, but this kind of thing, as well as the transhumanism thing, when we meddle around in things that we aren't supposed to be playing with on those sorts of levels, it's like, I kind of see it as a, like a Neo tower of Babel sort of thing. And maybe this is why things have to be burnt to a crisp and reset because we have no business doing these things. Well, it's interesting you mentioned transhumanism. That's the World Economic Forum from Switzerland. They, we have all these different entities that are all, all got their same fingers and some of the same dirty pies and other ones, but they form a giant spider web and they're all advancing the same agenda. And, it's and they all seem to regard humanity as cattle. Yeah, like they're, they're, they want to terraform the earth for something else. Um, and, and it was interesting uh, regarding your mentioning, um, you know, like transhumanism and the Tower of Babel. Like Jason Giorgiani in his book uh, Prometheism, he talks about uh, he's a transhumanist himself. And he talks about how there were three great rebellions against God. And he said the first was Adam, Adam and Eve. Right. He said the second was the Tower of Babel. And he said the third is as we're hitting the singularity and transhumanism is the third great rebellion rebellion from God. And as we go over to Prometheus, or as he calls him, Prometheus slash Lucifer. And, he, you know, and so you look at the UN with their Lucifer trust and you look at all these these bodies, these international bodies that have been created. They seem to be really into this stuff. Hence, the, all the weird, bizarre, pagan, ritualistic, you know, goat head Baphomet dances at CERN. This is bizarre. This is not what you would expect from, you know, kind of, you know, like a standard issue scientific institution. This kind of suggests that they that they themselves know that they're dabbling in, in opening channels via Birkeland waves to, to something. Yeah, but uh, be careful what they wish for. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, with, with that, I'll close out this podcast uh, by thanking panelists Jenny Silcox and Ryan Calevra. And as for me, I'm Daniel Natal, bidding you farewell until next time, until we meet again on Under the Iceberg. <laughs>